everybody, and welcome into the New England Ski Journal's Base Camp Podcast. I'm New England Ski Journal editor Eric Wilber. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Speechin. He's right here. Mike, how are you? I'm doing outstanding, Eric. You know, it's ski season. The snow is actually pretty good it now. Is. I it's, mean, it's a good year. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we weren't saying that in December. We were weren't we? saying it at all. And we may not say it in another two weeks. Who knows? But yeah, well, right now, yeah. it's a pretty good year. Right. I mean, all we know is that you take what you get when you get it. And right now, as you just stated, it's pretty good. The farther north you go, the better it is. Yeah, it's it's. I've had some good days on the hill. I've also had some days where I'm sitting at home watching on YouTube or Facebook or, or Instagram of, of people plowing through the trees in, in a huge dump. And that's making me a little remorseful. Like I wish I were there. So it's, it's, it's a good year. And we are going to have uh Ra Young on later on. He's from Mad River Glen where they're celebrating 75 years, which is ancient, right? I mean, it, it's unbelievable. Like we just, we had Bretton Woods on a few weeks ago celebrating their 50th. Well, they're, they're a child compared to Mad River Glen, 75 years. Well, yeah, they've been around a long, long time. I look at steep skiing, tree skiing, challenging skiing. Mm-hmm. You had the best of, and Mad River wasn't tops, which I couldn't understand, in challenging skiing. In in the New England Ski Journals. Yes. yes. And there are challenging hills out there in Maine, in Vermont, in New Hampshire, Wildcat, Cannon. They're challenging but they're they're not even close to what Mad River offers you. Okay, so can I can I admit something? Sure. I've never skied Mad River Glen. I've never skied it. It just hasn't happened. You're mm. looking at me like I'm, I'm looking very at you going, very judgmental. I'm I'm looking at you saying that's sacrilegious. <laughs> it's I know it's awful, and and I, I mean I was I I lived there, and I just never skied it, and it's. It's one of those things like every single year, it's like, okay, got to make the Mad River, got to make the Mad River trip, got to make the Mad River trip. And it just never materialized. It's, it's, it's one of my skiing embarrassments that I've never actually skied this place. Is that because of a bumper sticker saying ski it? It did. Yeah. It scares me off a little bit. Scared you off? Yeah. Wow. Well, I can tell you. Can you tell me about this mountain? What's, (laughs) what's, what's so special about this place anyway? Steeps, bumps, and trees. (laughs) Bumps, steeps, and trees. No, Mad, Mad River, not that everything, just like not everything at Magic, not everything at Alta is rock faces and dropping dropping into lines, mm-hmm. but Mad River is pure. It is a pure experience of going up a single chair first off, and as you go up that chair, listening to music as you come to Midstation, <laughs> one of my favorite things ever. Without headphones. Without headphones, okay? You get to listen, and you're Jones and by yourself on a, on a single chair. And getting up to the top and dropping into paradise, and I truly mean paradise, mm-hmm. tree lines that are tight. You, you look and you say, ugh, I don't know if I'm going in there. And you go and you go, wow, this is incredible. When the snow is good, there's not a better skiing hill in the country, not only here in New England. Well, back back up, back up. Say it again. There's not a better skiing hill in the country when the snow is good, period. Unbelievable. I, I can say you get out west, everything is wide open, but 
true skiers love trees and love that feel of once once you ski a mad river and ski it hard, there's nothing you can't ski in the country. I don't care if it's Palisades up. It doesn't matter. I'm real. That's a good bumper sticker too. It's a little too long though. I don't, it's, yeah, I don't it's care if it's Palisades. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, the other place, I'm, I'm a Taos skier. And, and Taos, it's bumper sticker. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I don't yeah. think so. Okay. Taos. Four letters for steep. Okay. Yeah, I have, I've heard of it. I don't think I've Yeah, I, I've, I had it on my vehicle for a long time since Taos is sort of my soul home. But, but I, I'm, I'm stoked to give Mad River Glen a little love to celebrate a real milestone for a co-op that's made it through some really, really tough times. If you're expecting to go to ski on eight packs and gondolas and trams, guess what? Mad River is not the spot. But if you want a soulful experience where the people are tremendously friendly, tremendously real, down to earth, and the cost of everything isn't Beaver Creek costs, Mad River is the place you want to be. In it in its co-op, it has really thrived. And I think 30 years ago, that wasn't necessarily a, a given. And it, here we are now in 2024 and Mad River Glen celebrating 75 years when 20 years ago, people thought that they were just going to go under, that this was never going to be long lasting. Here they are. Let me ask you this. Do you remember when all of that came to be? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. When American Ski Company was still out there, there were talks about connecting the two mm-hmm. over to Sugarbush. And just like up at Bolton Valley, who we've had on here before, just like down at Magic, there were the communities came together, ownership came together, and they decided that they were not going to become a Me Too resort or a Me Too ski area. And I applaud them. I can't wait to talk to Rye and see what his thoughts are. We will have Rye on in just a minute right after this. All right, welcome back to the Basecamp Podcast. Joining us on the Zoom line is Rye Young, Marketing and Events Manager at Mad River Glen in Vermont. We're going to talk about Mad River Glen's 75th anniversary. Wow, unbelievable. That's right. Rye, yeah. welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right. We're, we're extremely excited to talk about Mad River and have you on today. Ski it if you can. That's right. Um, one, can. Of, one of the great bumper stickers of all time. 75th year, pretty much the same environment that Roland Palermo wanted to escape in the 1940s. How did yeah. commercial interest in Stowe force him to start something different? Yeah, imagine that. This we're talking 1937, 1947 time frame when Roland Palmetto was invested over there at Stowe Mountain Resort. And if you can imagine what that place looked like back then compared to what it looks like now, you know he's probably spinning somewhere in his grave thinking about the commercialization of the sport. Absolutely. What was it that made him settle on General Stark? Like, how did he begin that process of looking for somewhere new? Well, so he he first set out looking for for a ski area by using an airplane because he was actually a pilot in the Air Force during the war. So he first scouted the spine of the Greens using his Piper Cherokee, I believe. And then they settled on 
Stark Mountain because the the terrain was the most the most eye catching thing, but it also had a road leading right up to it that the government had abandoned the, the McCullough Highway project right at the right where the parking lot is today. So everything sort of just fell right into place, and Roland settled on Stark Mountain because of that, that terrain and and the access that that he had to it. Well, terrain wise, I, there there honestly is nothing like it in New England. It is a standalone. And then to make it even wilder, you put a single chair up the middle of it. How did, you know, how did that come about and why has it never been changed? Well, it actually, it came pretty close to changing, probably closer than a lot of people think or or might know about. Back in 2007, we replaced the original chair and this was something that the cooperative voted on. They voted to replace the single chair, but some a vote like that, you might consider it to be a unanimous thing, but it was actually a little, a little contested. So there were some people out there that wanted to go the cheaper route, less expensive route. Would have been to put in a double chair, but I think everybody knows that the single chair is is a icon piece of of the mountain, and so it was it was voted on. I believe sixty forty or seventy thirty somewhere somewhere in that range to replace it, and so they hauled off all the towers sandblasted them and painted them up and put them back into into place on, on new footings, new shiv wheels, drive motor, um, haul rope, chairs, and all that were replaced. But aesthetically, it's exactly as it was back in 1948. And we still have the original Bethlehem steel stamps on, on the lattice towers and, and everything. So it's, it's a living piece of history. And it's, it's cool. Wow. Well, I can say you just said Bethlehem Steel. My father-in-law mm-hmm. did his whole career with Bethlehem Steel. You just gave me a a little chill there. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. But really, the single chair has something else going for it. And anybody that follows Facebook and follows uh, MidStation, what's mm-hmm. that viral thing all about? Yeah. Well, we, we have very dedicated folks at Matter of Glen. There's there are people who have been skiing there for multi-generations. There are people who have been working there for multi-generations as well. But everybody really connects with the place. And our longtime mid-station operator, Brian Aus, is he's a full-time employee in the winter. And and his, his station is mid-station on the single chair. And he's adopted that persona. He, he really takes it on. And he, he's one of those people that definitely takes work home with him. But only because he chooses to and because he loves it so much. He, he, he spends hours, I'm sure, a day curating playlists for each particular day based on what events are going on or what the weather might be. And he's also a, a certified ornithologist. And so he's very knowledgeable on birds and, and nature. And so, you know, anytime you stop into the mid-station to see Brian, you can dive into a conversation about the resident birds, whoever's visiting, the wax wings are coming in for mountain ash berries in the springtime or whatever it may be. And then you can pivot your conversation to talking about uh, a fish or dead set from the eighties or seventies or eighties or whatever. Like, And yeah, Brian's encyclopedia of knowledge and, and just definitely takes on that whole mid station persona. That's awesome. That's the characteristic you get at a place like Mad River Glen. Um, Mm -hmm. And I want to go back just quickly because I'm surprised. I'm shocked that the vote was that close, like 60, 40, 70, 30. Yeah. Because you would think, I mean, one, 
yeah, it's cheaper to put in a double. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. But that's your identity, right? Like you're saying, do we want to get rid of our identity in exchange for a double? Can you imagine a double chair there right now? Yeah, I mean, Coke has tried to rebrand a couple of times. You see how that <laughs> went over. So, yeah. no, it, it, I'm I'm very glad that, that it was voted on. Obviously, people are people want to see the mountain viable. And so I think that there was definitely financial consideration for a lot of those folks who m- might have voted to put in the double chair. Sure. Certainly a lot leaner times back then. The co-op is in a much healthier position now than it was for, for fun, for sport. I'd like to see maybe where, where people's heads are at now on that vote, but uh, I'd rather not test it. So (laughs) (laughs) smart move. Yeah. So Mad River Glen is, is pretty steady until 1972 when it's purchased by Betsy and Truxton Pratt. And obviously Betsy Pratt is the name to know with Mad River Glen. What did Betsy mean for the survival of the ski area? particularly during a time when other ski areas are trying to, where they were starting to fall out, they were starting to fall out of business. I mean, Betsy's got this allure to her. She's, she is many things to many people. She's a woman pioneer, a sharp business person, mom. She, she is all of those things to all of us. What Betsy did for the mountain was, was unspeakable. In, we would not be here today if it wasn't for her vision. That's for sure. She saw Roland's vision of creating this ski area that was for sport and not for profit. And when there were all sorts of outside interests trying to come in and scoop up the business, she she fended them off and, and made sure that Mad River stayed true to Roland's vision. And that was for the skiers, by the skiers. And yeah, she's, like I said, we would not be here today if it wasn't for, for her leadership. Well... Betsy is very renowned. She really set a standard. The co-op was her idea. How did she tackle changing that structure at Med River Glen? It was it was an uphill battle at first. She she definitely had to sell it. She was a, as I said, she was a, a very sharp business person first and foremost. She she came up with the idea. She pitched it to the shareholders, and she's really the one that, that got it up off the ground. Like I said, there were a lot of people that were coming at her in lean times when we saw a lot of ski areas closing. And in those years, like I said, a lot of, to a lot of people, she's mom. She was literally cutting checks to support the mountain to, to make sure that people were getting their paychecks every week out of her own money during, during lean times and leveraging her own personal finances to keep Mad River going. So she, as again, hate to beat a dead horse here, but she is the reason why we are here today. Right, and we lost her almost a year ago, so condolences there. But was, first of all, could you explain to the audience how the co-op works? Like if I'm interested in becoming a shareholder, sure. what does that process involve? It's super easy. Anybody who wants to buy a share is more than welcome to. We have roughly 3,000 shares that are available for purchase. And at any given time, we have about 2,000 shares in circulation amongst about 1,800 shareholders. So there's obviously a handful that are still available. All you have to do is come up to the office and express your interest in buying a share and fill out some paperwork, and that's it. And then for those folks who do become shareholders, there's really, it's not for, again, any sort of financial gain. This is you're investing in Mad River Glen because you believe in Mad River Glen and the spirit of, of the co-op and what we're doing. 
for the sport and you, you're investing your money to see it continue. And so with that $2,000 investment, you can then have a vote in how things are done. The, the co-op is, there's a board of trustees that represent the, the body and they meet monthly and work with upper management and making long-term decisions for the viability of the co-op and, and financial stability. Sure. How many, how many co-op members do you have at this point? Roughly 2,000 shareholders, or sorry, roughly 2,000 shares in circulation yep. right now. Maybe, maybe a little over. We, we've seen a huge spike since COVID, a lot, of, a lot of share sales since COVID. And then, like I said, about 1,800 shareholders. So there's some people out there that have multiple shares and people are allowed to purchase up to four. Sure. I, I look at Mad River Glen and Magic. Those two mountains, more than anywhere else that I know of, have such a core, strong following and sense of community that has been lost in so many ski areas. Do you feel, can you see it there? Can I see it in other ski areas? No, no, but can you, do you feel that sense of community at Mad River Glen that is different than, we'll say, a budding ski areas? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, as I said, there's multiple generational families there and there's people coming in and, and discovering Mad River for their first time, maybe all the time. And soon those folks become familiar faces because they fall in love with the place. And it's, it's a very small ski area. I'd like to say of the, of the Vermont ski areas, we're probably a big fish in the small pond rather than a small fish in the big pond. And all the trails come down to the one central location. And so it's very kid-friendly. Not a lot of opportunities get lost out there. And the whole area just sort of harbors this this community family vibe. Has it ever flirted with a buyer before? Like, has anyone ever come in and said, we'd like to do this? And how will that process even work? Yeah, not, not nothing serious since the co-op has started. But, you know, there's... There's lure out there and folks, there, there are folks out there, the, the Pratt family in particular, that, that might disagree with some stories, but the, the famous one of Betsy telling Les Otten to take his $3 million check and shove it where the sun don't shine and then turning around and selling the co-op for $500,000 less to, to the shareholders is a classic story. And although, like I said, family, the family might want to deny that story to be true, Certainly what I know of Betsy's character, I wouldn't be surprised if it were. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised on either front because I, I know less. So mm -hmm. um, from that standpoint, we lost Bet Betsy almost a year ago. Can you sum up what she meant to the whole skiing community of Vermont, just not Mad River? Wow. that's Yeah, that's a, a tough, tough one to summarize. I, I, I went to her Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and I think as a lone woman in a in an industry that was just absolutely dominated by by men and and large corporations it can't be can't be said enough that she was a pioneer for the industry and a role model for women all around and I still hear that today through generations coming down the pipe that they, they still look up to betsy and and her steadfastness to to stay true to what matter Glenn was and is and making sure that that continues for future generations. Sure. 
Well, I think the the two ubiquitous bumper stickers in New England that related to ski areas are either your Sugarloaf or your Mad River Glen skied if you can, mm-hmm. uh, which is on many, many, many cars across across the Northeast. Across the country. In across reality. the country, and across the world. You go to yeah. Alta, you see them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 1984, the sticker comes in. And so we're Mm -hmm. talking, it's 40 years old this year. Can you talk about what that sticker has come to represent worldwide? Sure. Like you said, and every day, every day I'm getting emails from photos, from folks sending in their photos from all over the world, Mexico, Japan, Alaska, right down the road, New York City, all over the place. And so it's cool. It's cool to see the, the brand getting out there and Certainly wide, widely recognized. But yeah, the little little history on the Skeet If You Can sticker is that it was it was a low snow year, and a, a skier who who frequented Mad River often, and he was a, a famous marketing executive, and his name escapes me at the moment. But he came up with the slogan, as in, "If there's snow, ski it. Ski it if you can. Ski it if there's snow." And that's where it was born from, out of a low snow year. And then, obviously, with Mad River's reputation of being more more challenging, and then the common misconceptions out there that we do not make snow or we do not groom, all that sort of added to the lure. And then, uh, I think somewhere along the line, it was lost in translation. People began assimilating it with a challenge. Uh, ski if your if your ability level is up to par uh and that couldn't be further from the case i mean matter of glenn has got an exceptional ski school and we're churning out new skiers all the time we're very proud of our ski school and if you learn to ski there you can probably ski anywhere because we've got all sorts of terrain and all sorts of conditions but yeah that uh ski if you can mantra came from hey if there's snow let's go ski it and so we try and carry that spirit today and there's been a couple years where we've opened on really questionable amounts of snow to kick things off and people are excited to do it. So, well, I, I, I loved the first time I went to Mad River Glen. I mean, I drove out of Western New York, no less with my dad. I was in college because I was on my way to smugglers for an interview. And we drove from Niagara County in Western New York drove early in the morning so I could ski Mad River in the afternoon. And I still remember coming over, looking at it, going, all right, that's why I came. It was incredible. But there's always been an elephant in the room uh, for Alta, Deer Valley, and Mad River called snowboarding. You, you guys allowed it at one point, correct? Yeah, then- so yeah, Mad River was actually the second ski area in the state to allow it, a little known fact that when snowboarding first came out there were a lot of there was a lot of resistance so allowing allowing it on the mountains and mad river was one of the first i think maybe stratton was was before us and then and then they were allowed on our trails and had snowboarder instructors at our ski school and the whole bit so how did it go south so it was it was a bit of a process what happened was if you you are familiar with the with the mountains so i can Oh, yeah. Tell you that when you get off the top of the single chair, there isn't a, there is no man-made ramp. It's it's flat at best, maybe a slight incline. So skiers have to step off and sort of skate to the right, and snowboarders can't do that. So what was happening when snowboarders were getting off of the chair, they were pushing off the chair, 
and or messing up the mechanics and and the the haul rope was coming off of the shiv wheels at the top and so it it was kind of a safety issue and and a maintenance problem and so eventually betsy said okay we can allow snowboarding here but they can't be on the single because it keeps on derailing the chair and it's unsafe so the snowboarders were then relegated to the sunny side double and as people come to ski mad river to ski the single and there's great terrain off of the sunny side double but the best terrain is off the single and eventually the snowboarders got upset about this and a couple of local kids who were probably in their teens at the time found betsy at the local grocery store one day and got her face with a video camera and assaulted her confronted her about this and she said well you know what maybe we just won't have snowboarding here at all and from that day forward snowboarders were no longer allowed at mad river and it's been pretty good since then that's like the in your face social media 30 years prior right like hey what do you mean yeah. Is the band forever, you think? Or is it like almost like the single chair? Like it's part of the identity of the mountain at this point. I don't know. That's a great question. I think every year that slides by, maybe it's maybe it's coming closer to an end. But then at the same time, I'll have I'll, I'll dig my heels in and say that maybe skiing is just a, a part of the identity of this place. You're not taking your beach cruiser to the Killington Mountain Bike Park. So don't to bring your snowboard to Mad River. It's just not what, what it's for. And I, I could see a change, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. You celebrated with the 75th anniversary gala earlier in January. What what kind of scene was that? Oh, man. It was pretty wild. We had a great time. Packed the base box with, with folks dressed up in, in old ski gear. And there was a band rocking. And we had a huge fireworks display and torchlight parade. This Friday, actually, I'm not sure when this podcast is due for for release, but Friday night up in Burlington, we're going to be showing the continuation of Rick Moulton's Spirit of a Classic. Awesome. Uh, so for our 75th anniversary, the Spirit of a Classic, Rick picked up where he left off from the last film, and he covers the next 35 years of the mountain's existence, and we're really excited. So there's a celebration continues, I should say. This will this will be out a few weeks after that event but where was the event held and is there a way people can watch it if they didn't attend sure yeah this so this this screening will be held at main street landing up in burlington this friday at 6 p.m and then we will have another screening on march 2nd at mad river at 5 30 p.m and then following that we will release it online and i'm sure rick hopes to have this up on, on Vermont public shortly thereafter. That's, that's amazing. What, what really, as we look at 75 years, Mount Ellen just had their 60th. And I look at 15 years before Mount Ellen came around. Can you tell me what ski areas in Vermont were there before Mad River? Because I don't know this question or the answer to the question. Aside from Stowe, I, I'm not sure of any others, to Eric, be honest. Saskadena. Saskadena. Well, no, they were they? I don't know, because were they still on the old? No, they would have been old, yeah. Yeah. Right. So 
that's just a question when I look at the difference between Mount Ellen and Mad River with the age. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, that, great question. There, there, certainly, there were probably a lot of rogue toes around. Sure. Like, a lot of neighborhood ski areas, but as far as established areas with aerial lifts, I can't think of any others. Fascinating. Any other events or item of items of interest you want to plug over the course of the remainder of the season? Nothing in particular. I would just urge folks to take a look at our event calendar. And if they're thinking about coming up to visit us, always look ahead to purchase tickets in advance online because we do have a limited capacity model, which is help reduce our lift lines on busy days and keep skiing comfortable so that when you are up on the hill, you're not looking over your shoulder and worried about somebody coming up behind you. So yeah, buy early, buy online for your best deals. Well, it was a pleasure, Rye, having you on today. Mad River and, as Eric will tell you, independence are very dear to my heart. Not to say we shouldn't ski the others, but we need to support the mad rivers of the world. And I just want to make one last statement in that regards. When you look at, for the person that does not have a season's pass, one of these mega passes, when you look at the window rate of a mad river in comparison to the bigger resorts up and down the green mountains, your value is incredible. And we had a really tough time. This is the the first year that we, bumped over that $100 threshold. So our day ticket now is 109 If you come to the window and purchase the day that you want to go skiing, that is going to be your most expensive ticket. And we had a hard time with that. But certainly looking around the industry and seeing what the other prices are, what the going rate is out there, it's, it's kind of disheartening because we need to keep, we need to keep people engaged in the sport. We need to create more more clients. We need, we can't, we're not doing ourselves any favors by making this inaccessible. So thank yeah, you. We're, thank you for that. Yeah. We're well, unfortunately you- over the hundred dollar mark, but it, trust me, it took, it was, it was kind of painful for us. Well, as your predecessor, Eric Friedman, once multiple times has told me yeah. the window rate is for suckers. So there you go. I'll leave you. There you go. Sounds like Friedman, yeah. (laughs) Rye, I want to thank you for joining us. That is Rye Young, Marketing and Events Manager at Mad River Glen, celebrating 75 years. Rye, thank you very much for talking. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Eric, as you probably are very aware at this point, Mad River is very sentimental to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, From the independent side, from the skiing side, because I like steep trees, it really is just a gem in this world of skiing. So on that note, then, this is very, this is perfect. So I want to, I want to lay this into you, not lay this into you, but I want to ask you about this. Was it last week on Facebook, you shared an article from unofficial networks, correct? About the culture of skiing is dead. Yeah, it came came to me from a friend. Yeah, and I think you you very much agree with what they said. Steve Wright of JP came out and says he didn't agree with it. And I think Steve is like in this kind of yin and yang balance of of, of the the soul of skiing almost, right? Like he wants to believe it's still there. And I, I agree with him that it is still there. I kind of disagree with you, but I see where your avenue is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can you tell us what did you agree with in that piece and sort of like what the the opinion, 
what was the writer trying to get at? Well, it was a letter. It was an opinion piece mm-hmm. that came into the unofficial. What he was getting at is that we we are doing nothing in in the ski world to bring new skiers in. Mm-hmm. We are doing every true. we're doing everything to capture dollars before the ski season when it comes to resorts. That's the big push. I mean, it's the health club way of doing business. You you get the recurring monthly charge there, and sooner or later, people lose their desire to go. We have more skier visits, or we did have a record last year, but we don't have more skiers. So where is the disconnect with the whole? And then you go to the fact that the culture of skiing was always based on community of ski bums coming in and actually being able to afford to live at a ski area, be able to afford to work a couple jobs and everything else, that is history. Mm -hmm. And if you go to Park City, Utah, if you go to Breckenridge, if you go to Jackson Hole, yes, there are small enclaves of culture, but the overall culture, I'm sorry, is not there the way it was. Have you read Heather Hansman's book? I have not. Okay. I, I, I think you would particularly enjoy it about how she talks about how this skiing culture has adjusted. Is it dead? Her being one of these ski bums herself and from New England and detailing how it is to make a living out West and, and how it's impossible and how that sort of has been lost over the past 20, 25 years. I I do want to counteract that a little bit in that for every Vale owned resort there is, there's a saddleback. You are, you are 100%. And there's a matter of a Glen. Correct. And I saw, we were watching Chronicle last week on channel five and they had the entire episode on, on Rangeley and saddlebacks Renaissance and they do very much like Bolton did back in back in their day. They, they still do. Bus kids in from town to teach them how to ski. I think that grassroots effort is something we don't always see. Like there's not anything that's really out there in your face like, hey, learn how to ski. I think you're right. The numbers aren't growing. How do we grow those numbers? But I think to say that they're not growing at all is – is disingenuous because they are growing, but where, not to the extent we want. Where, where are they growing? For every person coming in, mm-hmm. we are losing baby boomers. Correct. Okay. So so we're even. So we're, we're not losing. Correct. We're kind of correct. Even. And unfortunately, skier visits are a misnomer because every ski instructor that comes there and skis every day is a skier visit. Mm-hmm. Every ski patrol is a skier visit. That is not indicative of the growth of the industry. We did have a record. This year, the latest numbers I saw from Vail is that Vail was off 20%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to have a decline. I don't. You, you can't lose Christmas week and not have a decline. Of course. Yeah. So it's, it's just, do I agree the skiing culture is dead? Not at all. But the... It's sort of like the bike world this year right now. There is a bike culture out there, but unfortunately, people's in the U.S. especially, their attention span is very short. I find less and less families that are all in on skiing. You have the aficionados, but back 20, 20 years ago, 
there was everybody was all in. And I don't see the skis on top of cars going up 93 anymore. Well, that's because everyone's got a toolie, though. I mean, no, no one's using ski racks. What do you mean? A box? Like a box, yeah. There's no boxes. 20 years ago, I saw twice as many boxes. And I made this comment to a retailer, and he goes, yeah, I see the same thing. Hmm. And a lot of that is because boxes have gotten very expensive. But, no, I mean, I applaud Steve Wright for what he's doing up at Jay, and I agree with him to some degree. But we are in jeopardy, just like in the U.S., of losing cultural history. Mm -hmm. All right, fascinating. I would like to have an entire episode on this and kind of get deeper into this because I think you have such great insight on it and and such great opinion. Well, it's it's an opinion, of course. Well, no, that's that's what I mean. Like, like I I agree with you, but I want to needle you a little bit here and there to kind of get you to express that. And I think that it's a it's a conversation that we are. I hate saying that, like it's a conversation that's important. It's an important conversation to have. Obviously, every conversation is important. But I think it's important to have because we're talking about, hey, look, at skier visits are up and we're, everything's great. And in 20 years when we're struggling with climate change and people not skiing, where's the spark going to be? Well, so I think you looking ahead is very, very vital and important. Well, that's that's what it is. I'm very pragmatic in my thought process. And I've been around this industry so long and I'm a cheerleader for this industry, but I'm also a realist that you've got to have learned to ski programs. Thank God for the Neshobas. Thank God for the Wachusets, the Powder Ridges, as we had them on Mm -hmm. the Southingtons and so on, because those are the, those are the areas. And that's why I'm so adamant when I talk about Pennsylvania resorts, Maryland resorts, all these smaller resorts in Indiana, they are so crucial. I just don't, unfortunately, corporations are buying them up, and that's where the soul gets lost. I got one more quick item of note before we head out. I just kind of on the same note of treating skiing as something it isn't, okay? I was in my car listening to the morning radio show, and the Greg Hill show on WEI had a Friday morning show up at Loon where uh, Jermaine Wiggins was going to get on skis and ski for the very first time. Now, Jermaine's, I think, in his mid-40s, 48 perhaps. And I've I've skated with Jermaine on the ice, and he's a great skater. So he's already halfway there. Like, he knows how to start and stop. But a caller called in and was like, you are going to, if you've never skied, this is all about this, and talking about how hard and painful and cold it was. And like in Jermaine, who I don't know that well, was just like, yeah, yeah, I probably won't like it that much. But knowing him as an athlete, I know he would. So I think that there's this perception, right? Not in our world, of course, about skiing being so impossible to start. And how do we begin and where do we go? It's not all that hard. But finding the right ways and the costs and the paths to do it. I think it's something we have a, a bigger sort of forum on and figure out exactly where we're going with it. Well, I, I think that's where SIA did something really good, Ski Industries of America, back when, when they had their program with Mary Jo, Learn to Ski program. Yes, absolutely. Okay. My view is... Which still exists in some small way, but not to the no, degree not that even, it was not promoted even, Not then. even close. Yeah. Not even close. But my view is there should be a... This should be industry-wide. It should be Vail. It should be Icon. It should be everywhere. There should be a coupon that you can get 
learn to ski coupon for 50 bucks. You get lift ticket on the, on the beginner slopes like they used to rentals, the works come learn to ski, come embrace skiing. And that would be my push. And guess what? It wouldn't hurt any of these major resorts to do that, but it will help them in the long run. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mike, thank you very much. I'd like to have this conversation longer next time. Eric, thank you. And maybe we ought to have one on that. And I'll bring Mary Jo on. Ooh, perfect. Learn to ski. All right. See, maybe we'll start the, the whole... The movement. Maybe we'll make the coupon. Exactly. We'll hand it out. And I like it. So, all right. Thanks, folks. Thanks, Mike. For Mike Speechin, I'm Eric Wilber, editor of the New England Ski Journal. This was the Basecamp Podcast. We will see you next time. Goodbye. New England Ski Journal's Basecamp is a Siemens Media podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.